Trumpism has taken over the Republican Party, but what happens to that party if Trump loses? I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. Almost exactly four years ago, August 2016, I did a show entitled The GOP After Trump. At the time, the conventional, seemingly solid wisdom was that Trump would lose and the Republican Party would somehow have to pick up the pieces. My guest on that show was Rob Garver, who was then at Fiscal Times. He suggested it would be akin to a divorcing couple within the Republican Party. Anger, blame, feelings of betrayal, along with the question, who gets to keep the House? I hoped then it would come to pass that Trumpism would be defeated. Of course, uh, the urgency of that happening is infinitely greater now in 2020. Trumpism is far worse than anyone imagines. So here we are. Our guest today, David Smith, Washington Bureau Chief of The Guardian, writes in a new article, Trumpism has taken over, but what happens to the Republican Party if Trump loses? Deja vu all over again. But this time, the continued existence of our republic is truly at stake. And he offers this possible outcome. The end of Trump might not necessarily mean the end of Trumpism. And that side, the Trumpists openly embrace the once fringe racism and disdain for government once reserved for supporters of the KKK and George Wallace. In addition to their seething hate, they have many millions of guns. And their leader, Mr. Trump, loves cruelty and fascist dictators. So once purged of Trump, what will the formerly grand old party do? What can they do? Will they even survive? Of course, we never got an answer to these questions four years ago. Let's hope the opportunity actually does present itself this time. David Smith, thanks so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Thank you very much. David Smith, as I said, is the Washington Bureau Chief of The Guardian. He has been in the U.S. since October 2015. Boy, some changes. Reporting on Donald Trump's election campaign and presidency, he's a regular in the White House briefing room, as well as Congress, the Supreme Court, and the Smithsonian Institution. He's a regular contributor to the BBC Radio, CTV in Canada, and France 24. He's also appeared on American broadcasters such as CNN MSNBC, NPR, and Sirius XM. David was previously Africa correspondent based in Johannesburg for six years. And I understand, David, you even spent some time where this show is coming from currently in New Hampshire. There's a lot of political action here. Well, again, thanks for being with us. And having served 14 years in the New Hampshire State Senate, most of the time Republicans, in fact, were the majority. These were not Trump Republicans. Many were what the Trumpists might refer to as country club Republicans. They were socially moderate and fiscally conservative. And I recall that it took way before that a long time for Republicans in Washington to split from their president, Nixon. Today, we see the Lincoln Project, well-funded, old-school Republicans aggressively going after Trump with spectacular TV ads. But since he won the nomination, the party establishment has kept its head down and supported Trump. Where are they now? What has been the iron grip that Trump has had on them? What are your thoughts on that, David? Yeah, and I was among those, by the way, who uh, also wrote those uh, advanced obituaries in 2016 <laughs> um, during the election campaign saying, well, 
presumably Donald Trump is going to lose and uh, how will the Republican Party try to reinvent itself after that? And, and of course, he did lose the popular votes, but uh, well. speaks home in the Electoral College and that changed everything. Yes. But um, uh, yeah, I think um, uh, you know, he, he has this iron grip um, partly because of the grassroots support, um, the, the sheer fervor and enthusiasm that I myself have witnessed at uh, many Trump campaign rallies. Um, at, at the local level, there's a real sense that's where the, the party is. And of course, um, when uh, primaries are held all over the country, it's, it's often those people who shout the loudest, the most enthusiastic that uh, steer the primaries, along with a bit of gerrymandering in the direction of the, the hard rights and, and the Trump base. And just one little example that I found telling of where a lot of um, grassroots Republicans are was uh, the Iowa caucuses earlier this year. Um, I went to a uh, high school near Des Moines and uh, both Bill Weld and Joe Walsh, the mm. uh, challengers to Trump for the Republican nomination, were there. Um, Bill Weld gave a slightly dry speech and there was some polite applause, I suppose. Uh, Joe Walsh was much more combative and uh, he got roundly booed and jeered. And at one point he made a reference to Donald Trump's uh, vulgar tweets and somebody shouted, I like his tweets. Um, and certainly if you were in that room, you really felt that uh, an old Republican party had uh, died and, um, and really uh, everyone was, was all in for Trump. Wow, you're being there. My goodness, I'm reminded of an old uh, Yardbird song from... Uh the uk uh mr you're a better man than i i don't think i could have been in that room yikes <laughs> holding a straight <laughs> face i don't know well i was concerned four years ago that when trump lost he would refuse to accept the loss and his dedicated troops those uh people in uh, fervent would ignite and be a real danger to peace and domestic tr tranquility you say many Americans are, quote, hoping to purge his brand of nativist, uh, nativist rather, demagoguery, but the end of Trump might not necessarily mean the end of Trumpism, end of quote. As we are addressing the future of the Republican Party post-Trump, assuming that troublemakers do make trouble, though they often, like Trump himself, uh, bluster more than they act, does that make it more likely it will give the party the will to seek to distance themselves, or the way they continue to be kind of bullied, if you will, by the uh, power of the uh, the fervor of the grassroots. What is the power of Trump's uh, thugs over genuine conservatives and moderates? Is it just that that fervor and you know the, the conservatives and moderates, all Republican and Democrat, they're about winning the elections. So have they? the conservatives and moderates, have they become convinced that, yes, this is the Republican Party? Yeah, it's a great question. And certainly people I interviewed uh, for this article you're mentioning, including uh, Stuart Stevens, a longtime Republican consultant who's just published a book. He's pretty pessimistic. He says, you know, we can pretend that the Republican Party was taken over by this, this hostile force called Trump and that perhaps... Uh, almost like a virus it can recover. But but actually, the reality is, you know, this is what the party is now. It's it's Trumpian to its core. Um, you know, there, there is no turning back the clock. There, are, you know, He described um, a speech by George W. Bush at the 
2000 Republican convention as, as like a manuscript from a lost civilization, you know, like discovering the Mayans or something. And, and so the idea of reverting back to the republicanism of George W. Bush or George H. W. Bush, uh, I think many really um, have given up on on that. And, and I think that's partly because we've seen the last few years a, a purge um, from the Senate and House of some of those more moderate Republicans. Remember uh, the likes of Jeff Flake, Senator from Arizona, disappeared. Uh, others uh, retired. Uh, even in a short period of time, uh, many new members of the House were elected, uh, really pushing a strong um, Trumpian uh, agenda. So um, this, this, this may be at uh, the heart of the Republican Party now. Um, one person I spoke to um, felt that, you know, the best thing that can possibly happen to Republicans is to get completely wiped out in a landslide um, in November, because that will surely force some introspection and an identity crisis and maybe a coming to the senses that uh, Trump uh, was a terrible mistake. Uh, but, but, but others felt um, this is so foundational now that uh, perhaps a, a bit more like the Democrats in the 1980s when they, uh, of course, lost those three elections in a row before Bill Clinton came along. Um, this this could be a long-term thing. It, it might take um, three heavy defeats for Republicans mm. to, to really um, see the light. Wow. Yeah, there's been a fair amount of that. You're right. Uh, the Democrats uh, had lost a bunch in a row. And then they changed. They became more and this is my opinion, more like the Republicans, the, the more moderate to conservative Republicans, and kind of ditched, and I think learned the wrong lessons from 1972 when McGovern got uh, squashed. I don't think any Democrat could have won then. But, uh, you know, on the other hand, 1964, <laughs> when Goldwater was considered right-wing, he would be pretty liberal these days, uh, the Republicans stuck to it. And in the 1980, of course... They got their uh, Reagan. Now, to mimic an old car advertisement, this is not your father's Republican Party. You point out that, and this is something I don't really know much about, QAnon, Q-A-N-O-N, has found a home in the Republican Party. I am not sure what that entity is. Please explain and what it means that they've found a home in the Republican Party. Yeah, and it's, it's not actually something I covered in this particular article, but um, obviously something I've, I've read about, as many others have. It's, um, it's a conspiracy theory that has really uh, thrived um, online on uh, social media sites uh, such as uh, Facebook. Uh, I think it, it makes all sorts of um, wild claims about um, a, a deep, deep, deep state conspiracy against Trump and, and he's waging a war against it or, or something like that. Other, others will know the details better, but um, uh, people have shown up at Trump rallies wearing um, QAnon uh, regalia, if you like. And um, as we speak, uh, I know there's at least one Republican candidate with ties to them. And, and the party mainstream has uh, spoken out against that candidate, um, but actually done very little to, to stop her. So that might be at least one seat that goes to one of these people. Um, at least one Fox News host uh, praised uh, the, the movement and, and then had to walk that back. So um, it's it's one of those things that uh, I think officially mm -hmm. Republicans denounce, but maybe sometimes with a, a nod and a wink. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, uh, it's symbolic, really. It speaks to 
a, a wider malaise uh, in the Trump era of uh, the distortion of, uh, of truth, of, uh, of online disinformation. Um, the classic example, of course, was the Pizzagate conspiracy theory about um, Hillary Clinton, um, which is actually uh, almost within walking distance of my home here in Washington, that uh, pizza restaurant. Uh-huh. And, um, and 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 some would say, you know, even mainstream media like Fox News uh, feeding into this. And um, for, for three years, some people at least found it all quite funny. And, um, you know, did it really matter that much if these conspiracy theories were rampant? And then, of course, along came the coronavirus and suddenly um, this attempt to discredit uh, science uh, really became a, a life and death situation that uh, has arguably cost uh, tens of thousands of lives. Yeah, and I wonder about, I mean, the coronavirus is, is something very significant. How it's going to play out, we obviously do not know. You know, there are the conspiracy people, as you say, rejected science and just, you know, talked about, I think some of them anyway, just praying it away. And Trump uh, had that, uh, that doctor uh, somehow declaring some absolute foolishness. But, you know, I, I don't know if... What's your sense of these these grassroots people that you've seen, like you saw in Iowa, their fervor for Trump, and it's kind of unshakable. How How is the coronavirus and his handling of that, do you have a sense of how that is affecting uh, their support for Trump? Yeah, that's a question we, we wrestle with um, often. And uh, Obviously, as a journalist covering this, it's become far harder to find out because, um, you know, for three years, you would jump on a plane and go to a Trump rally and interview people. And um, 99.9% of them would always say, you know, we still love Trump. We're not paying attention to the latest scandal in Washington. And even if we have heard of it, we don't care much. You, you you have to assume that the coronavirus pandemic um, is a bit different and that it's obviously killed more than 160,000 people. There was some research today saying that uh, half the nation now in a survey said they at least know someone who's tested positive. And it's it's certainly sweeping through um, traditional Trump country included. So my reading of the polls and people I interview is that uh, there is still that Trump base, that real hardcore that might be 25%, 30% of the country that is unshakable will definitely still vote for him. Uh, one of my colleagues interviewed some of them um, just, just the other day, I think, in Kentucky. Um, and and they find ways to rationalize this, to, to say, you know, it's not Trump's fault, it's, uh, uh-huh. it's China's fault, or to discredit the scientists, or to say, well, I don't know anyone with the virus, uh, mm-hmm. you know, on the fringes. Obviously, there are still people claiming that the virus itself is some kind of hoax. Right. But, but where, why I think this case is different is that uh, beyond that real hardcore, you know, all the polls suggest that it has hurt Trump, that uh, uh, there are plenty of people who voted for him last time who will now not do so again. Um, you know, I think in, in all six of the key battleground states, you know, he is significantly trailing um, Joe Biden. So I, I have a feeling the coronavirus might make a difference. Uh, you know, if you'd asked me at the start of the year when Iowa mm-hmm. and New Hampshire were holding their primaries, I'd have said my my gut feeling is that with a robust economy, Trump will probably still win. And and I think the pandemic has changed everything. And now my gut feeling is that Trump will probably lose. Uh, brings up so many questions. A lot could happen between now and then. I mean, uh, the gaffe machine, also known as Joe Biden, 
Yes. Could be. I mean, I'm a little surprised the party picked him, but that's where we are. If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is called Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest today is David Smith, Washington Bureau Chief of The Guardian, and he's written an article uh, interviewing some tough people. Uh, uh, Trumpism has taken over. What happens to the Republican Party if Trump loses? Uh, you know, the Democratic Party is not exactly one monolithic party either. That is for sure, for sure. But, uh, you know, we do seem to generally hold it together. There was a lot of grumbling last time when Hillary Clinton was the nominee. I think it was a massive mistake my, myself. But so it goes. And now we'll see... Uh, Perhaps by the time listeners hear this, we'll know who the vice presidential nominee is. I don't right now. The Tea Party came and went. They, their long-term impact, did they help solidify the hard right and make it you know, more, more of a solid base for the Republican Party? Do they, does the Tea Party have a seat at the table now? Um, just on your previous point, by the way, um, I interviewed uh, Paul Begala recently, you know, the long-time Democratic and particularly Clinton strategist. And yes. He was full of effusive praise for the left and how Bernie Sanders and others have got on board with the Biden candidacy and uh, said, you know, I take my hat off to the left just for the surprising party unity and how much better it is in 2020 compared to 2016. And his rather pithy way of summing it up was... Uh, there's nothing that unites the people of Earth like a threat from Mars. And, and clearly, <laughs> Trump perhaps uh, could be seen as a threat from Mars that at least temporarily has made Democrats uh, bury their differences. But I, I do yeah. also think that if Joe Biden wins, you know, literally on the day of his inauguration, he will soon be under fire from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and others for not doing enough and, and being too centrist and moderate. Um, but um, yeah, the, the Tea Party... Um, I, I kind of feel that its um, its spirit lives on, even though many of the things it stood for as an entity have disintegrated. Um, sadly, the way it uh, it racialized politics mm. even more than it was already, um, uh, that, that element of the racial backlash against Barack Obama, which I think explains a lot of how Trump won in the first place. Oh, yes. Um, you just look at some of the signs... Tea Party people were waving on Capitol Hill, and you can draw a direct line from that, I think, to the same kind of raw, angry energy that you saw at some of the, the Trump uh, rallies. Um, some of the principles the Tea Party was standing for about uh, public spending and so on mm. have, have not uh, not really survived right. so well, as Donald Trump is now widely dubbed the, the king of debt. And Republicans have been, many would say, pretty hypocritical um, in terms of their spending, not, not for the first time. Um, so the, um, it feels like the, uh, so the, the, the Tea Party as a, as a movement, um, in the, it perhaps in the end was a victim of its own success or, or kind of ran out of things to do once um, Republicans won the White House you know, and the Senate and the House in, in, in 2016. But... Um, Perhaps it's uh, it's ghost um, still hmm. still lingers in some ways. Ah uh, yes. Uh, so sometimes those things uh, don't die out, and and certainly as you know from from history, uh, you know there's change, but never just a, a solid turning point where it doesn't go forward at all. It just doesn't happen that way. One of the 
defining attributes of the Republican Party used to be deficit hawks. They were dead set against deficit. Absolute silence from them now. What? Where, where's that uh, identity of the party? Are they just pretending it's not there? I mean, he's drastically raised uh, spending and deficit. Is that? I mean, that used to be part of their identity. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. It's um, it's really quite extraordinary. And uh, as I said, I think critics would use the word hypocrisy. And um, it really illustrates how Trump um, inverted a loss of the traditional Republican orthodoxy and, and, and ideology. It turned things upside down. And uh, a critic would say, um, really, the Republican Party sold its soul for power. Um, surrendered to this man, um, and and really has, uh, mm. and he has very very little ideology of his own. It's yeah. kind of more make it up as you go along and uh, govern from the gut and and so on. Um, and uh, not just with the deficit, but um, on, on immigration, on various issues, uh, he's pursued his own course. Republicans have generally gone along with it. So we've seen a little bit of friction in recent weeks. Um, because, you know, for example, someone like Liz Cheney in the House, mm. daughter of uh, Dick Cheney, um, she was somewhat critical of Trump on coronavirus um, and does speak out on, on foreign policy. And she remains a bit of a foreign policy hawk. Um, he, again, yes. has obviously um, cozied up to authoritarian leaders and uh, rattled some of the traditional alliances. Um, again, what you say about, well, you know, didn't Republicans used to be deficit hawks. Um, similarly, you know, didn't they used to be tough on Russia? Mm. And where did that go? Um, in, in in many cases. Um, so, I think that certainly is the case to be made that Trump um, made the party a, a cult of personality, and um, principles were jettisoned. And it um, it would be fascinating to see, um, you know, when he does eventually leave, will those principles be be rediscovered. And I, I think on the deficit, they often are rediscovered by Republicans when they're in opposition, when they can ah, criticize uh, Democrats uh, for, for, for spending. Sure. Um, they're probably not the first politicians in the world to uh, operate out of pragmatism and expediency like that. And I suspect we'll see it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not the first to be hypocrites either. I saw something that uh, GOP is now guardians of Putin. But who, who would have ever, who would have ever I mean, I grew up in the 50s and 60s, the Republican Party, just uh, keeping their head down and, you know, whatever the president wants on behalf of Putin, you know, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. It's, I don't, I don't, what, I wonder what the, you know, the, 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 the uh, grassroots, the, the people with fervor, what they, what do they think about Russia? I mean, it's, it's not the Communist Party, it's not the uh, uh, Soviet Union, they are, and, uh, they're back to their religious definition, the Eastern Orthodox. Religion is okay. Do, do they, what's your sense? You've been out there in the field. Do they uh, have any issues with, with Putin at all and his power? Or is it perfectly okay? They like him better than Democrats, maybe. There were one or two infamous photos circulating of Trump supporters at rallies actually wearing Russian gear, I remember, you know, the old Russian flag right. popping up or 
Putin shirts. I have to say, I, I didn't see actually see that much of that myself. So it, that that wasn't particularly representative, but it uh, maybe touched on a wider theme. Uh, but but generally, um, when I asked Trump supporters about um, alleged collusion and the Mueller investigation and so on, they Right. They laughed and scoffed at it, and um, they they certainly shared the president's view that it was all a a deep state conspiracy, the so-called Obama Gate, that uh, there was there was nothing to it, and it was uh, it was sour grapes from Democrats just trying to claim that uh, President Trump had won the election illegitimately and 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 so on, um, and they weren't thinking a great deal about um, Russia or indeed many other countries around the world. I mean, it's, it's striking to me uh, after living in the UK and South Africa that uh, you know, US media does tend to be very domestically focused. Mm. Um, sure, the great explosion in Lebanon um, gets some coverage, but um, right. having having lived and worked in, in Africa for six years, I can almost count on one hand the number of times I've seen news stories about African countries in, in the media here. So, um, and, and, and that's, it illustrates, I think, that you know, when you go to a Trump rally or you interview Trump supporters, um, very understandably, they have very domestic concerns about how they're going to pay the next bill and is the factory down the street going to reopen um, and what's happening in their particular town. Um, they're not that uh, concerned about uh, what right. Vladimir Putin is up to and what he stands for or, or even what Trump might or might not have said to him in Helsinki, um, all of that said, mm-hmm. I mean, somewhere within the Republican Party, uh, one could point to a, a darker um, motivation, which I've, I've heard argued quite persuasively, that uh, you know, why is it that Trump seems to love Putin and Russia more almost than any other country? And uh, is it because he regards it as a, a model of white nationalism? Mm. Um, Moscow and Russia generally are not exactly great models of um, racial and cultural diversity, as, as far as one can tell. Um, and you know, the Russian government government seems to be dominated by white men. Um, does that does that explain why Trump gravitates to them uh, even more than he does to authoritarians in uh, Asia and, and, and Africa? Huh, fascinating. The more I learn, the more. Scared, I get. Okay, <laughs> I have to, you know, admit it that uh, there, there's an amazing book I read, and I did interview the author called "The Power Worshippers" by Catherine Stewart about about the intent. And Bill Barr is a big player in this: the intent to replace our old Republican form of government with white religious nationalism, uh, and that that does concern me. But it's I, I don't think it's on the radar of of that many people that our republic itself uh, is is under attack by our own president. I, I just, it amazes me really. But, uh, you know, as you say, the provincialism and, and you know, largely the Midwest, uh, they feel, and there was an interesting article in the New York Times very recently, that they feel like their way of life uh, needs to be defended. They, they don't like uh, gay marriage, they don't like abortion, they're motivated by those issues. And frankly, the Democratic Party has not uh, appeared to be serving them. I, I don't see them reaching out to them, unfortunately. And there is, you know, a bit of a divide within the Democratic Party. But it's good to hear, and I agree with you, we're more unified now 
than we were in 2016. Largely, I think, because, oh my goodness, we had no idea he was going to be this bad. Uh, it was, of, of course, a huge surprise when Trump won four years ago. I, I don't think anybody expected it. As you point out, Trump still has time to spring surprises against his opponent, Joe Biden, in this most unpredictable of campaigns. End of quote. Though not predictable. Any guesses as to what that might be? Invade Iran, maybe, or I don't know. Uh, any thoughts on uh, on what the surprises may be, the notorious October surprise? Um, just, just very briefly, what you mentioned about the Midwest, I, I certainly did find it striking uh, going to a Trump rally, how excited people were that, that finally somebody seemed to be paying attention to them. Um, and, and, and yes, um, they could and might criticize the Democrats for, for decades of neglect. And there was this sense yeah, of, true. here comes Trump, a reality TV star. Finally, somebody cares about us. And they would line up for 12 hours outside his rally. And it would be, you know, say it's the biggest thing that's happened in our small town for 30 years. Um, and he played on that and he told them to spread the word among their their neighbors. And um, yeah, you could you could see that disappointment in the Midwest and that sense of, well, Here's somebody, and maybe he will be an idiot, and maybe he will start a war, but um, we might as well roll the dice and take a gamble that it's also possible he might build the factory down the street that he promised. Yeah. Whereas, frankly, if we vote for Hillary Clinton, we know we're getting status quo, we're getting a third term of Obama, nothing is really going to change. And I think for some people, there, there just was that notion of uh, we might as well gamble everything and, and see if our lives um, change. Um, some would say they, they have, and not for the better. But in terms of what um, surprises Trump has up his sleeve, I mean, I, I, I have to think um, Republicans are going to try and stir up some kind of giant scandal in September or October, maybe September because of early voting. And it might be going back to Joe Biden's son, um, Hunter and Burisma, or it might be going back to, um, you know, questions of uh, is Biden has he been too touchy-feely with, with women over mm -hmm. the years and some of the photos of his hands on their shoulders and so on, and also the Tara Reid case, or, or something we haven't even thought about. But, I mean, all the indicators suggest this is going to be the most brutal, politically dirty election we've ever seen. And mm. let's not forget, 2016 was pretty nasty with lock her up and so on. So I, I, I would expect uh, the, the full firepower of the Republicans to be trained both on Biden and, and indeed his um, his running mates with plenty of uh, sexism. Um, uh, the other surprise you, you often hear people talk about is that Trump will announce um, the discovery of a coronavirus right, vaccine right. Um, in, in October. And uh, Russia has just done that already, sort of jumping the gun. And uh, Trump would hope to get a a boost out of that, um, or, nice. although maybe something else we haven't even thought of. And, and yes, um, start, starting a war is the stuff of novels and movies, but with, with Trump, uh, I guess we shouldn't rule anything out. Well, he did, uh, you know, kill that uh, higher up in Iran, uh, and they're, you know, they would arrest him, uh, and I think that's quite a reasonable case they have. But, and it's always something unexpected, but we should never underestimate Steve Bannon. You know he's not out there, and uh, and uh, what and the, a bunch of his people are very very uh, uh, clever and frankly I think kind of evil. So who knows what the heck they come up with? They'll come up with now. 
Uh, and if for those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. We are talking with David Smith, Washington Bureau Chief for The Guardian. Uh, and we're talking about uh, what happens to the Republican Party if Trump loses. If my memory serves me correctly, as sometimes it does, in I think it was 2012, after the Republican Party lost to Obama, the party came up with a plan to reach out and have a less extreme image to try to build the party to reach out more to women and uh, and other neglected groups whatever i mean obviously it didn't uh, factor into trump but whatever happened to that yeah it's presumably lying in a skip you know in a, in a garbage disposal somewhere yeah. i mean it um, it really is extraordinary that uh, that party autopsy by the republican national committee said a lot of the right things, you would assume. It seemed pretty sensible um, following uh, that, de- that second defeat by Barack Obama. Um, it said, you know, we just have to catch up with the right, right. changing demographics of America. We have to, as you say, appeal more to women, um, to people of color, mm-hmm. to all the communities that Republicans had neglected for so long. And so then along comes Donald Trump and does the precise opposite. Um, you know, they said turn left and he turned right. And somehow he won. I mean, it, it kind of defied all political logic and, and gravity. Um, I, I have to think um, there was a, a fluke element there. There was just pure luck in that uh, he was up against a divided Republican field. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in that sense, he was a minority. And if the Republicans had consolidated then actually that 2012 autopsy would have been the majority view. But instead, with a boost of celebrity and so on, he, he got through. And then in mm. the general election, I think he probably flukes again, um, losing the popular vote, but winning the Electoral College against what many would say was a, a uniquely bad candidate. Yes. Uh, yes. Someone from the Clinton dynasty, someone who didn't go to Wisconsin. Then we had... Russia and James Comey and, and the, the long list goes on. And yes. even then it was, it was it all came down to about 80,000 votes in, in three swing states. Um, and, and history may judge that was the worst thing that could ever possibly have happened to the Republican Party because, yes, they got four years in power, but maybe they were also then put on the wrong trajectory for, for way, way longer. You know, they were, they were lulled into thinking, oh, we don't have to change anymore. And, oh, we can go back to being racist and it doesn't matter. Um, and Stuart Stevens argues that in his book, that for, for some of the Republican Party, there was that sense of relief. Oh, we, we don't have to pretend to um, care about uh, voters of colour anymore. We can go back to our old ways. You know, Trump mm. has legitimised and, and licensed this. But actually, the the 2018 midterms yeah. suggests that could possibly be the wrong reading. I think Democrats won, what, about 41 seats, I think, biggest since uh, Watergate. And, and if now Democrats win the 2020 election in a landslide, you will probably have to conclude that Donald Trump was wrong and the 2012 autopsy was right. Ah, time will tell. But I, I somebody said to me a long time ago that, that every presidential election, people either want change or more of the same. I do believe Hillary Clinton read it very wrong because that was more of the same. And at least in the in the Midwest, as you point out, you know, finally someone cares about us. Now, about ninety percent of the Republicans approve of the job Trump is doing as president. 
Uh, but young people are not so keen on Trump and Trumpism. There's a lot of young people. What about, does, does the party have to choose keeping the older white people or going for young, more diverse Americans? And what about that aspect for the future of the Republican Party? Yeah, and uh, sheer mathematical logic tells us, of course, that those older voters are dying off. Yes. Um, there's even a case to be made that uh, in the short period from 2016 to now, uh, enough of them will have died and no longer be voting, that that could make the difference to the result uh, this time. Um, so, yeah, Trump has huge strengths, of course, in voters over 70 and retired white men. Yes. especially um, some would say, you know, those who resent the disappearance of an America they once knew. Uh, others would say, well, perhaps that America never really existed. But mm. you, you see it in Trump's appeals to um, retirement villages in Florida and, and, and so on. Um, this is real hardcore. And, and you see it in Fox News's uh, viewing figures. Um, and that's paid off for a while because those people are quite reliable voters. Yes, um, but uh, any sensible political party would also look to youth and look to the future and say, well, that's where votes are going to be. Uh, and obviously there has been a problem with uh, apathy among young voters, so we'll see what happens this time, whether enough of them um, turn out. Um, but, uh, but yes, the, I think the Republicans ought to be um, looking to the future in that way and, and a much more diverse America where eventually you know, white people will be in the minority. Yeah, well, there's a lot of fear and anger and even hatred about that issue, about, you know, whites uh, feeling feeling like, you know, it used to be our country and we're losing it now. That's that seems to be motivating a lot of people. And racism has always, always been with us in America, not just in the Republican Party. It was the Democratic Party, which until uh, 1965 was the home for out and out segregationists. And, and you quoted Stuart Stevens in your article, Republican Strategist. This is an interesting quote to me. What we saw as a recessive gene in the party turned out to be a dominant gene. Now, I, I wonder if, if it's over for fiscal conservatives and social moderates, or if Trump loses, might that, uh, the fiscal conservatives and social moderates, might they suddenly be on the ascent? And of course, there's a question we haven't touched on yet. <laughs> What if Trump doesn't accept his loss? That could be very, very frightening. So a couple of questions in there, uh, David. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, uh, in the future, it's all potentially up for grabs. Um, a fascinating question will be whether these moderates, conservatives, can still find a home in the Republican Party or, mm. or literally have to go off and, and do something else. Uh -huh. um, I think you mentioned at one point how... The, the Democrats almost have two parties inside them, and maybe the Republicans do too. I mean, mm. uh, going back to invasions from Mars, perhaps a Martian would come along and say, come on, why is uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the same party as uh, right. Joe Biden? Or um, why is John Kasich in the same party as Donald Trump? That uh, there should be at least four major parties here or, or more. And, and, and I think this part explains why Trump's approval rating is so high in the Republican Party still at and the last one I saw was 91%, um, mm. because um, those who dislike him have, have actually literally left the party. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, so they're not, they're not being counted in that figure, and, and that bodes ill for him in the election if, uh, if the party is actually shrinking. 
Um, and of course, you see um, Republicans uh, of old in movements like uh, the Lincoln Project and yes. Republican voters against uh, Trump uh, speaking out. Uh, but to your other point, um, yeah. yeah, I think there is a danger that more people are still wrestling with about well, what if he simply refuses to, to give up power? And right. uh, someone else you mentioned, uh, Bill Barr, the attorney general, could be a, a key player in that. Uh, heading the Justice Department. Um, I've seen, I think Stuart Stevens actually in a tweet so, and others have floated theories of, you know, what happens on day six of a recount if mm. Bill Barr sort of sends in um, law enforcement to, to stop votes being counted because of claims of uh, irregularities. Uh, you know, Barr is a useful person for Trump to have on his side if, if things turn very messy with... Uh, all sorts of wild claims of uh, postal votes going missing or people voting twice. Um, uh, it, um, as the New York Times put it recently, you know, imagine Florida uh, in the year 2000 without recounts and then, you know, multiply it several times. Mm-hmm. So there's like 10 or 20 Floridas going on and lawsuits flying. Um, that's what I think we see with Trump constantly talking about uh, postal voting with no evidence saying that it's subject to fraud, uh, just trying to discredit uh, democracy um, itself, um, trying to find a way to to claim victory prematurely, maybe on election night, say I won, and then if by day seven the postal votes show that actually he lost, he will uh, be able to Mm. say this is not fair and there's cheating going on and I should stay in power and... uh, it uh, could all turn into a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, a bit of a nightmare indeed. Uh, British understatement, if you don't mind my observing. <laughs> <laughs> you quote one of the voices of eh, the, I consider, moderate middle of the DNC, uh, Paul Begala. He said, when a major party legitimizes hate, which Republican Party has, it's very difficult to get it undone. It takes time, often a lot of blood. My old political science professor defined politics as the economy of violence. The Trumpist party, the new Republican party, has welcomed the accelerationists and the boogaloo boys if they do initiate violence after a disputed election, which I think it will be no matter what. Will will the Republican party continue to keep their heads down I would think this might put him in a very uncomfortable position. Your thoughts on what if, you know, the Boogaloo Boys and the Accelerationists really uh, try to start a civil war? <laughs> yeah, it, it will feel that everything has been hurting toward this moment, won't it? That uh, Republicans were willing to turn a blind eye to four years of Trump shattering norms and vulgar behavior and... Uh, all the things he's done, and most obviously, uh, apart from Mitt Romney, they dismissed the impeachment case. They were happy with him pressuring the leader of Ukraine to do him a favor. Uh, will the Republican spinelessness um, extend even to giving tacit approval to, to violence in the streets uh, in a disputed election? That um, that will be the grand operatic finale of this. Mm saga that we've that we followed uh, you know which republicans would be willing to stand up and speak out and, and which will will go along with this and um, yes I, I don't know the answer to those questions i i i, I sort of hope for the best that uh, 
uh, honor will um, prevail. Um, and I think um, Trump is is betting on those kinds of things. That uh, you know, to take another example, he recently floated the idea of postponing the election right. because of the coronavirus. It was quite interesting how uh, Mitch McConnell and others quickly shot that down. Thank goodness. And and yet. Um, you know what happens if uh, it gets near the time the Republican Senate majority is in danger? Will they be so quick to shoot down such proposals? Or you know, midway through a recount, will they insist that things are done properly or or try to cut corners? Um, I mean, uh, I I wasn't reporting on it at the time, but from what I gather, even in 2000 in Bush versus Gore, they were playing some pretty hardball tactics. Um, yeah. uh, rougher than mm-hmm. Democrats did. So again, and, and even in 2000, I recall, there were um, those, those guys in suits uh, playing rough a bit. So that could all be a, a preview in microcosm of uh, what we see in uh, 2020. And, and we're obviously in this climate with the with the pandemic, with, with recent protests. Mm-hmm. Um, we're around the anniversary right now of the, the Charlottesville violence mm-hmm. um, there are lots of people walking around with guns. Um, it is potentially a, a powder keg. And I say that uh, having covered many elections in Africa, which um, sometimes went smoothly, sometimes did uh, result in uh, violence. Wow. Yeah, politics is the economy of violence. Sometimes it comes out and uh, hopefully it won't. That's interesting perspective there. Like if they're in danger... They, they, meaning the Republicans' majority in the uh, Senate, if they're in danger, will they just accept the violence? That's just, uh, oh, it's so frightening. And to have kids, I'll tell it's just, who da thunk it? Now, there's some, you know, the future of the Republican parties is what we're, we're discussing here with uh, uh, David Smith, Washington Bureau Chief of The Guardian. Nebraska, uh, Liz Cheney, as you mentioned, has spoken out a little bit. She's the number three House Republican. Nebraska, Nebraska Republican Senator Ben Sass referred to the president's style of governing as unconstitutional slop recently. That's not all that subtle. Trump reacted saying, this foolishness plays right into the hands of the radical left Democrats. He keeps saying that, and, and I wonder, do you think that is working among Republican voters, aside from the hardcore, the people who may have voted for Trump in 2016 but are not so sure now, uh, defending what uh, Ben Sass called unconstitutional slop? Is, are people on the Republican Party are buying what Ben Sass is saying or that it's just a way of undermining this president? What are your thoughts on that, David? Yeah, I think... Um... Some of them maybe now um, in this uh, year of the coronavirus pandemic and the economic uh, slump, um, as I say, I think uh, that has chipped away around the edges of the, the Trump um, support. Um, you know, when when the economy was seen as fairly robust, uh, it'd be harder for Ben Sass or Liz Cheney or others to, to, to make an impact, you know, all, all was well in the Trump um, universe, but the poll suggests, you know, he really has uh, lost some support. Um, but all of that said, I, I think it's probably still more remarkable how little uh, Republican resistance we see rather than how much, um, you know, the, the, the extraordinary thing is that Ben Sass and Liz Cheney are still outliers. Yeah. Um, 
rather than part of a, a major insurrection. Um, and when I've interviewed uh, pundits and others about this, they take the view, look, um, they're now so uh, in bed with Trumpism, it's, it's too late to escape. So mm. They're going to mm. go down with this ship. Um, ben Sass um, uh, won a primary, um, so he's pretty safe for now, so he can afford to speak out. But uh-huh. others who are, others yeah. who are vulnerable... Um, they live in fear that uh, you know, if they do stick their head above the parapet, um, Trump will shoot them pretty quickly and he <laughs> has such sway over the base. Um, it, it's a suicidal thing to do. And um, what one journalist at Politico a few months ago wrote something quite interesting about um, a Republican uh, member of Congress who uh, was retiring and even in retirement knew that if he was critical of Trump, that uh, some of these fervent supporters could still um, come to his house and mm. harass member of his members of his family, and mm. you know, if he was out shopping at the local store, he might get heckled. Um, life is just made pretty unpleasant for you if you're a Republican who dares to stand up to Trump. Um, and so these profiles encourage a very few and far between. Um, you, you obviously get a lot of persecution and harass and harassment um, in, in online media as well. So um, I, I think, um, yeah, some people were receptive to those voices, but um, but they're still uh, in the minority. Yeah, it is. Uh, that, that is impressive how they are a minority, and uh, you know the whole idea of uh, that, that the uh, people who the Republicans who criticize Trump are uh, stabbing him in the back. You know, we've heard that before. That led to a pretty bad situation uh, in in Europe when, you know, Hitler said that the reason they lost is because there were Germans who stabbed other Germans in the back. And I wonder if Trump supporters in the party will see those Republican that did distance themselves uh, as as the enemy. And, and as you say, that's We've seen that they they kind of do, and it's very scary for them. And you know, I think demographic change seems to be a big motivator for the Trumpists. They they just cannot stand the myth of white Protestant heterosexuals males not dominating and controlling. And and as Trump, uh, his niece has said, Trump only values dominance and control. There is nothing else that's important to Donald Trump. Many of us thought, apparently naively, that the election of America's first black president was a big step forward in fighting racism. Obviously, we were wrong. I I wonder if Trump does lose about the danger of white supremacism, uh, you know, really coming out there. Now, as, as I said earlier, you know, Trump blusters more than he acts, for sure. And that whole, those protests about wearing masks, that that's an assault on people's freedom. The, a number of Trump people went to state houses and yes. carried guns and looked scary, but they didn't do anything. It's hard to gauge that. I don't know if you're in a position to, to guess on the danger of these white supremacists, these heavily armed white supremacists, if he does lose. Yeah, I mean, a couple of points um, you raise. First, on the stabbing in the back uh, notion, um, certainly I've, I've heard the view express this. Uh, if Trump does lose, and even if he loses heavily, then one of the narratives will be he was let down, he was betrayed by those Republicans who spoke out against him, that it's it's all the fault of the moderates. 
and that if the party had fully embraced Trumpism, then um, he would have won again. Um, and so there will be a, a, a sort of internal backlash against those those perceived uh, traitors. And, and that will feed into, you know, who the nominee is in 2024 and which direction the party takes. Mm. Uh, does it does it embrace Trumpism further? And does it say, you know, we only lost because the moderates, moderates refused to get on board? Or do they say, OK, this was all a fundamental mistake. Let's go back to that 2012 autopsy. You know, Trump was an mm. aberration. We have to get back on track. So that will be a, a fascinating battle for the soul of uh, Republicans. Um, in terms of... Um, uh, the, the the backlash uh, if Trump loses, right. um, yeah, it's so hard to predict, isn't it? Because um, uh, sometimes uh, when you when you win, um, uh, perhaps uh, people don't feel they don't need to take to the streets so much. I I, I think uh, right. a lot of the the current Trump and Republican model is actually uh, based on a concept of opposition. Uh, I think I'm right in saying that Fox News really got its ascent, really took off in the Bill Clinton years, yes. um, raging against a Democratic incumbent. And it still has that flavor now. Um, it's always looking for enemies. It's looking to persecute. It's looking to express anger. Yes. So in some ways, I think uh, Fox News would really thrive off the Democratic president. Um, oh, that's you know, true. On on day one, they would be saying Joe Biden didn't do the oath of office properly, um, looked old and doddery as he got into the car and whatever. Right, right. Um, and, and Trump himself um, has copied that model and, again, could thrive in opposition. Um, mm. And ima- imagine his Twitter account kind of blasting whatever President Biden has done next. Oh, um, my goodness, yes. And then that leaves the Making America Great Again movement itself. Now, are those people still going to go to Trump rallies, even in opposition, or are they going to express the anger mm. in other ways? I mean, you talked about the Tea Party. Uh, it, it doesn't doesn't take a huge imaginative leap to think that they might be back uh, in some shape or form. You know, the, the people who used to go to Trump rallies may be standing outside state houses again. Right. Um, ex- expressing fury. But the, the, the great unknown variable in all this, what? you add to the mix is um, many, many months now of, of lockdown, of um, economic mm. problems for many people struggling to feed themselves in many ways, lining up for hours outside food banks, uh, all the anger and resentment, the, the, the cocktail of feelings that comes with that. Um, who knows how that might um, find expression? Mm. Yeah, we've seen throughout history that that, Anger and populism can be uh, molded, not necessarily in a good way. There have been third parties in American history, of course. I wonder how possible it is that the Republican Party becomes two parties. Of course, I think that would be a gift to Democrats and you know those uh, people on whatever left America supposedly has who's saying, nope, not going to vote for Biden, going to vote Green. That's a gift to Republicans. Uh, but I wonder... What are your thoughts about the Republican Party dividing and becoming uh, two distinct parties now? What are the odds of that, do you think, if if Trump loses? Yeah, I, th- I think the odds are still against it, um, just because there are so many gravitational forces and pressures in the way the American political system works. And um, one might well say that system is, is broken 
ever since that Supreme Court judgment, uh, the influx of money into super PACs um, and the dominance of TV advertising and the way primaries work and gerrymandering and there's a, a long list of fundamental flaws in the system which right now make it extremely hard for any third party or independent candidate uh, challenger to, to break in. And, and also, I think, means that both Republicans and Democrats would regard it as potentially suicidal to, to break up. I suppose there was that, um, was it the 1912 election where Teddy Roosevelt yes. um, did launch his breakaway party and, 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 and you know, did pretty well, uh, I, think, I think, got the biggest share of any third party candidate ever but nevertheless very predictably the result was that the the democrat was able to win against a divided opposition mm-hmm. so unless there's some great sort of um cordial agreement between republicans and democrats where they say simultaneously okay we'll divide into two if you do as well <laughs> uh that's like four parties yeah. um then um you know why would why would one or the other take or take that risk? All, all of that said, um, if it ever was going to happen, then you would have to say the historic upheaval of first old Trump, then a coronavirus pandemic, and then the economic problems. Uh, you, which you could say you know three crises in one: a, a crisis of political leadership and of public health and of the economy. You put all those together, if, if ever there was a moment that you could see a real rupture, uh, that you could see a real shift in the paradigm uh, in political parties and in other ways, then, then, then this would be it. You know, clearly, you know, 2020 has been a year like uh, no other, but even so, I'm, I'm not holding my breath. Nor am I. And in politics, we can expect the unexpected. I, I always uh, enjoy reading The Guardian, and uh, if people are interested in following uh, your work, I assume that's the place to go and uh, find out some other international news, not just about American news. A- any other particular websites you can point people to? Theguardian.com. Always grateful for people to check us out uh, covering U.S. politics. We have offices in Washington, New York, and, uh, and Oakland, California, so a big American staff. Thank you so much, and uh, it will be interesting to, uh, to keep in touch. Perhaps we'll talk after the election, assuming uh, both of us are still alive <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much david smith of the uh, the guardian thanks thank you